body, spirit. The martial arts are a way of life. Attack Life, Not Others is an insight into that life with Tim Hoover and Steve Mittman. We've got another Butinsky on. Yeah. Trish has been on the show a couple well, times in the past. She has, and he's the first. I mean, he's an intellectual. He's the better so, looking one, too. He is the better looking one. But he's smarter. He's better looking. So smarter. really, what do you need Trisha back for? All anymore? we need is a red carpet. To roll you guys out. are <laughs> digging a trench. You guys are digging a trench that I'm going to have to Are you going to have to pay the price yeah. later? Yeah. yeah. It's kind of cool, though, because the thing is, is talking to him about something at my daughter's 39th birthday party, Nicole's birthday party. He's there. We're talking and he's chatting, telling me about a book he wrote. So that's why I thought it'd be great to have you on the show to talk about some of this stuff. And Steve, you take it from here. I mean, I can't even pronounce the words. Right off the bat. So let me officially introduce you. Christopher Butinsky, that's his name. And that's uh, the author that joins us. The book is called The Inklings, the Victorians, and the Moderns. And it says, Reconciling Tradition in the Modern Age. What does that mean? Why, why, Why are you on our show, Attack Life, Not Others? Okay, so if you break down the three main... Uh, words in that title. The Inklings, mm-hmm. right? The Victorians and the Moderns. Who were the Inklings? So the Inklings, uh, it was a literary group at Oxford University. The four main Inklings are C.S. Lewis, J.R.R. Tolkien, Charles Williams, and Owen Barfield. Well, okay. so for some of the people that, that listen to the show may not know who they are, just some of the books they wrote, some of right. the things they so, did. Uh, C.S. Lewis is best known for the Chronicles of Narnia, mm-hmm. but he also writes a number of other things, Mere Christianity, The Great Divorce, one of the most prolific writers of the 20th century. Tolkien, uh, he's got The Hobbit, mm-hmm. right? Lord of the Rings, The Silmarillion. Owen Barfield, I don't know if anybody's even heard of his books. Uh, poetic Diction. Uh, he dabbled in some mystery writing and uh, other types of uh, things that dealt with myth. And Charles Williams was um, really into King Arthur. Okay. So did stories uh, you know, that, that kind of paralleled that universe – uh, and wrote an outline of romantic theology, which is a, a wild look at uh, romance and the uh, perspective of uh, Christianity in romance. So back in the day, you were telling us that those four writers right there, they used to get together yep. and hang out in an office and just do their thing. Yep. Drink cognac, drink brandy, smoke pipes, right? Dump the pipes out on the on the rug, rub their foot, you know, right into the... Uh, Right, at the, the ash right into the carpet there. So that is so interesting. You don't picture that, right? It, collectively, they, right? They were not isolated. They were very much about the camaraderie and the fellowship, and they felt that that was important. I mean, they would take long walks together and have meals together. They would uh, they would read each other their works to bounce off ideas. So Tim, that there you go. Two minutes into the episode, we just hit the nail on the head as far as the commonality with attack life, not others. Yeah. You all the time say we were never meant to be alone no. on this journey, on this Absolutely planet. Right. And there you've got four of the greatest minds this planet's ever seen. They certainly adhered to that. They work together and you get further, you go farther. Yeah. I mean, being human means that we share interests and, and, common understandings and ideas with people of all walks of life. And they were really in tune with that. And in fact, so much so that they didn't even think people who had passed or had died uh, should be left out of the conversation. Hmm. And so that's one of the other things I touch on in the book is this idea that we really have this kind of cloud of witnesses all throughout our lives and teachers that, I mean, Socrates can be one of our teachers, right? Martin Luther King can be one of our teachers. I mean, we don't have to lose the things that they said and the things that they did. And it really helps build towards the future because the present is fleeting. We can't predict the future. So the only thing we really have to study is the past. See, now, now you know, know. now you know why I wanted them on the show, right? Now I would have never known about your depth and how deep you are unless I would have had 
the relationship to be able to be together and yeah. just chat. And I think that's disappearing at a very fast rate. Yeah. We don't communicate the way we used to. Everything is relational. Uh, your relationship to your God, to your belief, your relationship to your marriage, to your wife, um, your relationship to others. We're getting more fearful about colliding into each other, uh, being open to people who you don't even meet or know, listening to a conversation. We're too busy texting and emailing, and it's a one-way road that way. It's never a conversation. A conversation has a pause, and it has a patient listen, and then it has a thought process before you speak your mind. Um, and, and a lot of cognac and brandy too. And a lot of cognac you know, apparently. And brandy. <laughs> but you know, the funny thing about the funny thing about what he's saying is, pure genius was coming together, in a sense, all at the same time, colliding, creating relationships, and out of that comes material that we're still in awe about, whether you read it or see it. Absolutely. And that's happened several times, and it's also happened. I just learned the other day in music. Some of the best rock and roll was created in, in the late and early '60s, and they just happened to be all jamming together. All these geniuses in writing and music and sound and rhythm were all there together for a very short period of time. And that's why you have the greatest rock and roll back then. Um, I don't know if it'll be repeated again, but it surely isn't happening now. And so you go back to that past in that particular time period and now jet forward to where we are now. Mm -hmm. What they said and wh what we're experiencing, do you see a gap? Do you see what they're saying is true? What's happening to us now? Yeah, uh, so I think probably every present age is concerned with many of the same similar things, mm. okay? And so I don't think one time might be worse than another. Okay. Each age has its own spirit. We just happen to be in a very digital, a very scientific age um, that's started, you know, a couple hundred years ago, and we have really latched onto that. And industrialization, and I'm not going to decry any of those things. I mean, I like running water, right? And I like electricity, and I mm. like, you know, medicine, and you like um, your iPhone. Sure. Uh, yeah. yeah. To a point. To a point for things that it's good for. Right. But um, in all of that, it's happened so quickly that we have not given ourselves a chance to adapt to it in a manageable way where it we're no longer the master. It's starting to master us. Hmm. And so one of the things that this group and why I thought that they were interesting is they saw kind of the writing on the wall. They would point these things out and they weren't. They weren't well received. I mean, they. But what was the writing on the wall back then? And this is you saying early 1900s right. Indu right. industrialization. Right. So the writing on the wall is is that spirit is something that we no longer need. It was part of primitive societies who didn't have explanations for things. So you know they didn't know why the tides moved, and so they said, "Well, there's a god of the sea." And then when we figured out it has to do with gravitational pull and the moon and things like that, they go, "We don't need that anymore." So. Lots of intellectuals, and this is the thing, this is not the common person who comes up with all these ideas. These are small revolts, intellectual revolts that eventually over time kind of take root and become more commonplace. Most people are still pretty normal and pretty, pretty satisfied with what life is, but this wave of you know the world getting better and advancement and all of those different things that come with that, I mean, it's, it's intoxicating. And people become obsessed with it. They buy in wholeheartedly. So if you promise that you can cure disease and, you know, get rid of crime, build better cities, build better societies, get rid of intolerance, you can do that. And the, the idea was from the top down, from this, these intellectual disciplines, if we're more scientific about things, if we don't have things to argue over, you can't argue over facts, mm. according to them. 
if we remove more and more of those things and you begin to privatize religion, spirituality, those things, recognize that imagination and fantasy is good for kids but not for adults and certainly not for for societies. Um, But one of the things you pointed out was you eventually lead to people who won't think for themselves and then you have dictators and totalitarian states. Mm -hmm. And that was the other thing that they were worried about, that if we did not take care of our imagination or our free thinking or our, our liberal learning, we would easily succumb to lots of promises that removed a lot of those freedoms and a lot of our individuality. And, and sometimes, like in the case of something like communism, destroys human dignity. Well, look at what's uh, some of the things that are already being removed from schools. The first thing that goes is art. Yeah, and- the, the arts are, are, I would say, you know, I'm not a, a doom and gloom type of guy when it comes to this stuff, but the arts and humanities are somewhat under attack. Yeah. And what's odd is, is with that, um, vocations have fallen by the wayside along with that. You would think it wouldn't go that route, but the idea of the quote-unquote specialized college degree has kind of supplanted the right. idea of an arts degree or a vocation for a whole number of reasons. But you know, one of the things that you can see the bridge between the early 1920s and now. So, and I do this in my book because it's important to show that they're not just a bunch of you know old dinosaurs who don't want the world to change. Right, And they like the things that they like and they don't want anything to change and they're just old and crotchety. We are creating people who are great for the marketplace. We're making great engineers. And even Lewis said, I would love for us to have great engineers and great doctors. But if we're only focused on that, we're not going to have great human beings. Right. Our compassion is lost. Our empathy is lost. I mean, how else? If you can't walk in someone's shoes all the time, how else do you know their story unless you read their story right. or you listen to their story or we do commune kind of like what we're doing here? Mm-hmm. So the human soul is disappearing, fading yeah. away. And the idea, even the existence that we're more than just material, that idea is disappearing as well. I think, you know, the show Attack Life, Not Others, and our tagline is mind, body, spirit. The mind is always easy. We talk about things to strengthen the mind. The sure. body is probably the easiest through exercise and nutrition. Yeah the spirit is harder to dive into and for people to grasp the concept. They think it always has to do with right to religion, God, mm-hmm. and it, it can, but it doesn't have to. And um, well, see, that's, I think, I think that's my point is that if we go to a, a particular religion that's very mechanical and all you need to do is go through the steps, you never are required to use your imagination to get there. The faith is really requires imagination. You need to imagine and think about the leap and the bridge that you have to take to get to a level of faith. Faith isn't just automatically driven into your brain as a connection. It requires work of imagination. And I think that visualization, imagination, and creativity are huge in developing us as people. Well, they're not tangible. Creativity is not tangible. And it's not something you can see. So that's faith in and of itself right there. The belief knowing something exists without seeing it firsthand until maybe down the road. And then what you're saying, Chris, is if that disappears, yeah, trust us, you'll see the results, Yeah, but you're not going to like it. But I, I do like what you said there with the idea that it's not tangible or measurable, right? So the body, you can tell that you're losing weight right? And you're building muscle. And so that's very measurable. And so it might be easier for us just to kind of gravitate towards that. But I think the mind and the spirit are the two harder things to do. Mm -hmm. We're always busy. We love busyness. We promote multitasking. And so... Well, we want to achieve. 
Right. Um, we, and we, we love do. actions. We, yeah, we don't. Right? We love action. We want to achieve. It's even, I think, um, at my age, one of the things I'm seeing with a lot of my friends is they have a difficult time sleeping. Their minds don't turn off anymore. Uh, we've been programmed over all these years to think, 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 think. And now all of a sudden, just like that, turn the mind off and go to sleep and get your eight hours. It doesn't happen. We're less and less physical. Our jobs are I mean, sedentary. We, yeah, sure. And yeah. so we don't get the exercise. And then we wonder why we can't fall asleep at night. I think it's a really interesting thing that you're doing here. I do. And I think that the difference between creating a better life for our grandchildren and for our kids is by talking about it and having relationships. I'm not against anything. I'm not against technology. I'm not against education. I'm not against science. Mm-hmm. I'm just with them, but with other things too that balances out. It's all about balance. It's all about balance. Um, as you are familiar with the yin and the yang, it's that idea of that concept of always searching for that balance of what we need. This is a big world. This is a big place, a huge universe. One of the things that people always say to me, or I say to them, is, oh, look, I mean, you got to get grounded. You know, I thought about that the other day. That means to step, put your feet on the ground, mm-hmm. get grounded, become familiar with who you are, that you're only a small bit, a small piece of billions and billions of things. And once we feel like we have control, that's when we lose control. To be open to ideas and concepts um, and become smarter and better at what we're doing, but not lose the idea of imagination and creativity. What was your purpose for the book? Your bottom line purpose to write this book, your message, your number one message after the person finishes the book and puts the book down and says, you know what? I'm going to pass this on. If you have a good book, what do you do with it? You never put it in your library. You give it to somebody and you say, read it and give it back to me because it's so good. What is your purpose? So the purpose of the book is uh, to highlight and to show that we're not the only group of people, the only age, the only decade, the only era to deal with very human issues and problems. I mean, there are, let's say, 100 great ideas, right? Love, war, peace, empathy, all sorts of things. And what links us together through time is that we all deal and struggle with these things in different ways, but we all deal with them. They're uniquely human things. And so I really enjoyed this group uh, and this time period. There was so much change going on. They're living through World War I, the Great Depression, and World War II. I mean, I can't even imagine going through all of those tragedies, living in you know the Western world mm. through an entire lifetime and really having any sort of optimism. And yet they said, you know, our imagination is key. It's what'll keep us human. It is something uniquely human. It's tied to our intellect. It's tied to our reason. Uh, we're not just organic machines. We're not just, you know, molecules of activity bumping into one another. There is something deeply unique. And education, the church, meditation, all sorts of things should act as tools to help prepare us to get to those spots that we need to be at when we're working on ourselves, whether we're working on our mind or our body or our spirit. And so I think all of those things are good. It really needs to be holistic. And I think this is a group that took lessons from the past. Now, most of them were really um, intrigued by the Middle Ages. So they took those lessons. Obviously, not everything can be brought to the present from the Middle Ages. You know, a lot of, you know, sometimes it was a lot of backward thinking. I mean, they're burning people at the stake for thinking differently. So they took the permanent things, the things that a, a common, yeah, evergreen, yeah, yeah, the things that create a common mind mm-hmm. and a bond between all human beings, 
and they simply translated them into their age, into their vernacular. And so the purpose of my book then is to take the early 20th century and take those permanent things, that common mind, and translate it into the present vernacular. The name of the epilogue is called Passing the Torch. And I think some of us carry responsibilities wherever you think they come from, whether it's a transcendent responsibility that you feel like God gave you that, or if you've taken this upon yourself, that you have to pass it on. Tim, how crazy is that? How many times have you talked about transference of experience? That's what he just said, passing the torch. It's all it is. It's all it is. It's experience, it's ideas, it's our, our way of doing things. So we take a way that we view religion or Christianity or whatever, and we have different perspectives. Some of those things just don't change. We aren't conflicted over them. Mm-hmm. And so we pass those things on. I think you're right. You guys have to have this on about this idea of dialogue. We live in an age where we show young people that you can't disagree and still love one another, that you just got to scream at each other and you got to dig your heels in and we're all in different parties. And, and it's, it's just not the way it is. No. Or should be. No. We were made to be communal. I mean, Socrates says we come together and build civilizations because we can't be independent. We, no, we ne- I need alone. something from you and you need something from me. It's not necessarily material or from the marketplace. Chris, this is awesome. I can't wait to read the book. Uh, again, it's called The Inklings, The Victorians, and The Moderns, and it's available where? So it's available on Amazon, uh, but it's a little pricey. I mean, it's, a, it's by an academic press, and that's the only unfortunate part about it. But um, if you go on Roman Littlefield's publishing website, there is a 30% promo code that I can offer. Tell me, I'm looking at the table of contents. Tell mm-hmm. me about, there was one in particular that really intrigues me. I mean, everything you've said so far totally intrigues me. But this in particular, number seven, not all books are created equal. Tell me what that is. Yeah, so that's, um, so most of it is from an objective historical perspective, right? As a historian, I have to be mindful of objectivity and not just put out agendas. Uh, I mean, we can't get rid of all biases, but that chapter is meant to show, and that's where I kind of piece together this idea that the humanities and the arts and the liberal arts are dying and being traded for vocations, but not like plumbing and elect- being an electrician, things like that, but uh, specified degrees, like go get a degree in marketing. You don't need to read philosophy. And so I just say that not all books are created equal. Some books are better than others. Some books are worth our time. Uh, So it's hard to be discerning. You want to sit on the beach and you want a page turner that you don't really have to turn your mind on because you think that's vacation, that's relaxing. In fact, most of our our history, the idea of leisure was, okay, all my farm work is done. Now I can finally sit down and read Thomas Aquinas or whatever it is. I can finally sit down and read and not, not just always read something that's heavy, but also think and contemplate and practice stillness. We just don't do that anymore. We especially don't teach kids that anymore. I mean, I, I, I try to drill that into my student's head where I teach that even if it's 15, 20 minutes a day, it's hard to start. Unplug your, your headphones, do all of that. So that, that chapter is focused on defining leisure and showing that there are certain books that are definitely worth our time and others that are not. Interesting you say that because as you're talking here, that's exactly, I'm looking at you, Tim, and me, my body language, you've got our total full attention and we're totally glued to every word you say. And it's kind of what you just said, stillness, but yet I'm absorbing and learning and hearing what you're saying, taking it all in because you've, it's so profound. Yeah. I mean, 
you find out very quickly, if you are a person who is interested in things, you are going to meet other people that are interested in things and you never know where that's going to connect you to someone, right? I mean, I personally don't have an interest in the martial arts, but one of my closest friends, Steve, Tim's son-in-law, has been a, a, a lifetime friend of mine. Because of that connection, I meet my wife. Right. Right. And right. You, you never know. I yeah. mean, and based on that night, I won't go into detail, but I didn't think that was going to happen. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, but it, it's true. We now all you do. dug your own trench. Right. right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I, I think there's a, I think there's a, a, a lot of different uh, ways we can go here. And, and, but I think the energy is funny. We were just talking last night at the end of our class, we were talking about, you know, I'm 64. And I said, I, 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 if I didn't have the group that I have, I don't know how I would continue to yeah. still push the jet fuel out that I have. I, it's, it's hard, you know, your body hurts more um, and you have all the excuses in the world not to. But, but do you feel energized by them? I do. Is and, that what you mean by that? Yeah. And so what happens is when you have linear thinking, when you have a group of people coming together for one interest, you gain up on a, a big ball of energy, just like being inside of a basketball court, probably basketball even more than football because you're in a tighter a gymnasium, and you can feel the energy rise up because everybody's together and everybody's focusing on that ball, on that team or whatever. That energy can lift you past what you think you can do that's humanly possible, and it brings you and elevates you to another level. Also, when you meet somebody totally different, and the next thing you know, you're colliding into somebody that you didn't think you were going to have a conversation with, and the next thing you know, you're talking about different things, and you're hearing their point of view, and you have a point of view, it's a different kind of energy, but the same. It's a fascinating thing. I think the worst thing to do is to be alone. The worst thing to do is to separate yourself from those kind of relationships where you can feed off others, whether they believe or disagree. It's the best thing in the world. And I think listening to you, I think all your research you did, that's your biggest concern is where we're going with all this cool stuff that we have. It seems like we've got everything, but we have nothing. And I think that's your biggest concern. I think that's our biggest concern is to talk about it. Because once you become more aware of what you need, maybe it'll make us a better human race. I believe we have evolved. I believe we're much better than we were 100 years ago. But I think we need to be careful, very careful where we're going. Yeah, but listening to what Chris said today, I mean, it, it gives me hope. It inspires me that maybe we're not so lost. We're there not. is there is hope, and I think no, uh, no, everything not. will. I think it'll turn out well in the end. Yeah, it's little things like this. I mean, if, it is. if good people don't do good things, then who else? Then who else? Who else will? Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you, Steve. Christopher Butinsky, man. Good luck with the book. And, thank uh, you very please much. Please go check it out for those that are listening. One and, more time, the name of the book. Say it real fast. The Inklings, the Victorians, and the Moderns. Nah, that's a good book. Thank good you. stuff. Yeah. Hopefully yeah. you guys are the one that reads it. I will. I'm going to get it myself. Same here. Thank you for listening to Attack Life, Not Others. Subscribe to our podcast. And for more on our way of life through the martial arts, go to hooverkarate.com. This has been a Steve Mittman social media creation. 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 Steve Mittman social media.com. Dot com. Dot com.